Thank you all so much for being here this morning. I really do mean it. I love seeing each and every one of us here together. And this is week three of the series that we've been working on, The Words We Sing. And we're picking through some worship songs because the way that we worship God really does shape our relationship with him. So it's really good for us to understand the words that we're singing and the theology behind them. And just a quick note, if you know somebody who really needs a miracle to happen, or if you know somebody who's really struggling, our final week of this series next week is the song that we just did, Do It Again. So I encourage you to bring them with you if you can, and we'll see if something amazing can happen next week. But this week, How Great Is Our God, I just love this song because it's simple yet profound. Like People all around this world can sing this song, How Great Is Our God, in every different language, and it never gets old. You know, whether we're at the front steps crying over something, or if we're rejoicing because we just had the best day of our lives, we can sing how great is our God because of all the wonderful things that he is. Those things will never run out. And if we look to the beginning of this song, it says, The splendor of a king clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. But if we truly want to see how great this God is, what causes this whole earth to rejoice, we need to see the full picture of who God is. Because when I started my Christian journey at the age of 18, I would have considered myself an independent Christian, which meant that I read the Bible on my own. I listened to or sung worship songs on my own. I even tried to give myself communion on my own, which all these things were well and good. It was good that I was making progress. But at the same time, all I was doing was beginning to see how great my God was. But this song is entitled, How Great Is Our God? You know, I was seeing his love and forgiveness and grace for me but not for all of us. I was only seeing a sliver of who God was. I even, when I started serving at my first youth group, just as a volunteer, you know, I saw a little bit more of who God was. I saw his grace, I saw his forgiveness and his love for these students, and that he helped push them to better futures. But I was only seeing his love for me and for one generation. I wasn't seeing God's whole story. Now on this earth, don't get me wrong, we're never going to fully understand the depths of God's love because our brains just can't comprehend how good he is. But when we do ministry across different generations, when we get more people involved and interact with individuals who don't look just like us or individuals who don't have the same skin color or the same gender, then we start to see a bigger picture of who God is and we start to see his love to a greater standard. You see, all of us here together are the body of Christ. We're all different, and we're all lovely and amazing and beautifully made, and we're designed to be different from one another. Look at the book of Romans chapter 12. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a specific function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So we're not all just different for no reason, But we are to use our differences to help one another, to help build each other up and to push each other closer to Christ. Now, we hear all this reasoning, and as humans, we tend to think, okay, that all makes sense, but I'm in the superior group, right? Like, you know, I'm the one with the most to offer. Because 
we tend to think that we are the ones with the most to offer. You know, that person's too old or that person's too young or that person can't do it because of this reason. But I want you to look with an open mind at this Palm Sunday scene recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So Jesus was about to ride into Jerusalem. So a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. All of the people shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, it says the whole city was stirred and they asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So you can just imagine this scene. Thousands and thousands of people all around the city of different ages and everything else shouting the praises of Jesus as he walked into the city. But then this story takes a different turn. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Because these people were trying to profit from their selfish gain. You know, they were in the temple courts trying to satisfy their own self-interests and make money off of greedy purposes rather than honoring God. So Jesus does this and probably angers a lot of people. But then look at the good he continues to do. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and specifically the children shouting in the temple courts, the children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. These religious leaders were indignant. They said, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. So I find it interesting that the, that the text specifically says the children were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. You know, this was right after Jesus would have angered so many of the adults, so many of the adults that were trying to serve their own self-interests, where all that chaos just happened. The only people left were the children's shouting the praises of God. You know, the author could have said the crowds were still there, but they weren't. It was just the children shouting the praises of God. You know, before this whole event occurred, I guarantee you the adults were the ones thinking, we are the superior generation. They were saying, I'm going to go see Jesus in the front row, and yeah, I guess we'll bring the kids along too. Or I don't know why those kids are trying to get to the front. They don't need to see Jesus. But by the end of it, you see that everything changed and the children were the ones who were doing the correct thing. Remember what we just went through in Romans 12. This is what we just went through. It said, just as our bodies have many parts and each has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We have many parts, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. But look what comes just before this in the text. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. And then it starts talking about how we're all members of one body. 
So God is specifically saying, don't think you are better than you really are. Understand that you have weaknesses just as you have strengths. You know, we can't fall into the trap of thinking that we are the superior ones because we all have these strengths and weaknesses. Look what Jesus says about the youngest ones in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child up to him. He placed the child among them and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But I don't want you to think that I'm just talking about the little children being the great ones because we all know that they make mistakes too sometimes. Look what the book of Job tells us. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? And then Psalm 92 tells us the godly that even in old age they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. So just as the children have all these wonderful advantages, so do the older individuals and everybody in between. We are all in this together, the young, the old, and everybody else. Listen to how God included everybody in the Old Testament. This is in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives, and even the foreigners living in the lands. You're all together. You're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm to you this day as his people, all of you, that he may be your God as he promised you and swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as the song says, how great is our God, it says, sing with me and all will see how great is our God. But the thing that American churches tend to do is divide us all into different groups. You know, we say the children go here at this time, the youth go here, the young couples go here, the singles go here. Oh wait, we're going to put the senior citizens here early in the morning. And the church in general tends to divide these generations apart, which don't get me wrong, there are some benefits to that, and that's why we do that. But at the same time, we need to be working together to strengthen one generation that has weaknesses and then join everybody together to be working as the kingdom of God. Because if we all just continue to act independently, we're not working as God really desires. Each and every one of us has so much to offer. The kingdom of God does not discriminate like the world does. Based on age, gender, religion, race, you can kind of fill in the blank with anything at this point. But instead, we are all in his hand, and our differences are celebrated and to be used for his glory. Look at these lyrics in the song with me. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. Now read that first line again, age to age he stands. I'd like to look at it from the place of biological age, not etymology like ages and eras. So if we look at it strictly through the lens of biological age, we can see that God is standing with the tiniest little babies and that he's also standing with the believers who can tell their days are dwindling. Job 12.10 tells us that in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. So just take a moment and picture us all sitting together 
in the hand of God. We are not separated. We're all squished right in there together in his hands. Now, taking the concept of that into the church, intergenerational ministry is not just about putting everybody in the same room. It's about matching the strengths of one group, the weaknesses of another group, and bringing us together for the common good. Now, we know that our triune God is always together. And as our song says, the Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. Now, there are no weaknesses associated with any of the persons within the Trinity, but they still function together as one whole. So how much more should we, as human beings, work together? Because if we're being completely honest, we know that we all have weaknesses, Now, sometimes it's not always easy to see them or admit to them. And as Pastor Bobby said earlier, we tend to think that we belong to the superior group. We think that we have the most to offer out of anybody around us. But if we can take a serious look at all the different generations, we can see that there are ways for us to come alongside each other and work together as the body of Christ. Because if we look at each other as though we are actually all just an extension of one body, Christ's body, then it becomes easier to see how we can work together to balance our strengths and weaknesses. So for an example, have you ever noticed that on any given Sunday, there's probably a teenager sitting in the sound booth? That's because Generation Z is basically pre-programmed to operate computer systems and run technology. But the sound booth is not totally operated by teenagers because that would be chaos, right? But but it's also because the more experienced generations know a little bit more about how a church service should operate. They know how lighting affects mood and how the volume needs to change for different types of songs. And they just know all the the behind-the-scenes detail about a worship service. So when you combine those two strengths, you eliminate the weaknesses, and they're able to operate a church service seamlessly. Now, giving the younger generations an opportunity to participate is important, but going a step further and allowing them a seat at the table when decisions are made is crucial. Now, as a rule, younger generations are honest, and I can feel the eye rolls from all of the parents in the room, right? But bear with me. You might be thinking about how your child hasn't been truthful with you in recent weeks, but I would bet if you asked your child their opinion on something, they would be happy to give it to you, good, bad, and ugly, right? So giving the younger generations a chance to give input on ministry can help shape their own faith as they make decisions that help guide others into a walk with Christ. It also helps the next generation know that you don't have to be 50 years old and have your life together to be a disciple for Christ. They can start now at their current age and their current stage of faith to make an impact for the kingdom. This year at Vacation Bible School, Kelsey Rowe Magnoli joined me as co-director. It was her first time in a leadership role of this capacity. But if you had the opportunity to witness her in action, I think you were probably blessed because she was a natural on stage, she was encouraging leaders, and she was wonderful with the kids. We met often and planned out all the nitty-gritty, behind-the-scenes details of Vacation Bible School, and I was amazed by her creative ideas her fresh perspective, and her willingness to literally do anything and everything it took to make VBS possible. Now, if I had just looked at Kelsey as an experienced kid who wanted to learn more about ministry, 
I would have missed out on everything that she was able to bring to the table. And the kids at VBS would have missed out on a lot too. Sometimes we don't even realize how valuable the younger generations can be until we give them an opportunity to fully invest in something. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, it recounts a time when Jesus was 12 years old. His family had been traveling back from Jerusalem, and unbeknownst to his parents, he disappeared. That might sound familiar to some of us, right? Now, they realized he was missing, and after three days, they found him in a temple, sitting with religious leaders, asking questions and giving input. Now, in verse 47, it says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So I guess not much has changed over the years. We still have a tendency to be amazed when younger generations show an understanding of biblical teachings instead of putting them into situations where they could use that knowledge to lead an even younger generation. Now, I'm talking about younger generations a lot, which might seem a little ridiculous to some of you as I stand here, a 31-year-old millennial. And that's kind of become a dirty word, right? Millennial doesn't have a lot of great connotations. I often joke that I don't identify as a millennial because I don't want to be a part of that group. But I think we should all today put an end to the negative stereotypes and focus on the positive traits of each of our generations. So to speak specifically to mine, We're often known for living our lives carefree. We don't like to work hard. We're stuck staring at our phones instead of interacting with other people. We can be dreamers, but that also makes us motivated to push the envelope a little bit more and take risks to try new things. We focus on our passions, which helps us work 10 times harder when we discover them. And we might use our phones a lot, but it helps us stay connected with people and causes and ideas in the world around us. But I'm not just a millennial. I also belong to the sandwich generation, which if you've never heard of that, the sandwich generation is made up of people who are raising kids and also helping to take care of an aging relative. So age can come into play, but often it's more life circumstance. So you could have a 50-year-old raising teenagers and taking care of a grandparent, or you could have a 65-year-old raising kids and taking care of an aging parent, or you could be a 30-year-old taking care of little kids and, and caring for a sick parent. In fact, that's where Matt and I found ourselves just a few years ago. After Maddie was just born, Matt's dad was diagnosed with terminal esophageal cancer. He battled for a long two and a half years until he went to be with Jesus this June. During that time, Matt and I stepped in to help as often as needed. I took Pap-Pap to most of his doctor's appointments. Matt would help his mom with anything that needed done around the house. Pap-Pap even came and stayed and lived with us off and on. We did a lot of family outings to make the most memories possible, all while raising two little girls under five years old and both working full time. Now, I'm not telling you all of this so that you think a certain way about me. I actually want you to see what was going on on the other side of that situation. While Matt and I were stretched in too many directions to count, we had friends who would check in on us often, offer to make us dinner. They would watch our kids when we couldn't figure out how to be in multiple places at once. They would pray for us, and they would make us laugh when all we wanted to do was cry. These friends who supported us came from all generations, but many of them were friends of our age. 
In recent trends, our generation has increasingly become uninterested in the local church. And it's not because we don't have an interest in being in relationship with Christ and learning his teachings. But in all honesty, we can look up a Francis Chan sermon on YouTube or get an Andy Stanley podcast and never leave our couch. But what millennials actually crave and need from the local church is to have close personal relationships along with a strong biblical teaching. I have found that personally in our Connect group. We've been together since our first round of babies were born over five and a half years ago. Since then, we've experienced a lot more babies being born, car accidents, family deaths, job changes, and so much more. But through it all, we have supported each other and offered what someone else needed even when we didn't have much to give. Now, if someone looked into our group from the outside and made assumptions based on our age or life situations, they may not realize what all we have to offer and what we're willing to do when relationships are formed and there are needs that need to be met. Now, when it comes to meeting needs in this church, I have seen the older and wiser generation come together more times than I can count. They are truly the pillars of the church and have created a strong foundation that has carried us through multiple building projects and countless changes. Their steadfast love for our Savior has translated into a love for his people. My life has personally been transformed by relationships with women like Pastor Bonnie. She pours the love of Jesus Christ into every person she meets, young and old. But her love for God's small children is a beautiful thing. I've dropped my kids off at her house and witnessed her leading Bible study at 8 a.m. with her elementary-age grandkids. She's offered communion to the kids downstairs and sent the bread home at the end so they could feed their ducks. She's chased little ones in the nursery, and she's taught preteens how to dare to be a Daniel as they face down the lions of high school. She has taught me how to pray, just like I'm talking to my best friend. If the older generations could spend more intentional time with our younger generations, telling stories and showing God's faithfulness over time, we could fill the gaps in their hearts and lives, we could teach them that God is always with us, and we could literally show them an example of how to have a lifelong faith journey. Through this, we would also be able to show the students that he truly is the name above all names, and he's worthy of our praise. Now, one simple way that we would like to start helping get everyone in the same room together is through the Pray For Me event, because we know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. Next Sunday, we're inviting families to join us and link up with prayer champions from multiple generations. This is an invitation for all families with children and youth in their homes. We all need prayer to get us through the ups and downs of raising a family. So sign up today. You should have got a half sheet on your way in. You can fill it out, drop it in the offering basket. And the prayer teams that are formed are going to stay connected throughout the school year as families share their prayer concerns and the prayer champions respond by placing those cares directly on the Lord. Our goal is to help every generation reach the next generation through prayer. It's time that we rally around the children and youth even after they leave the walls of this building and place them fully into the hands of our Father. And as we wrap up the song, the lyrics say, the whole world sings, the whole world sings. And we know that, ev that one day every single knee will bow before our Lord. It's recorded in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. And it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we want to make sure that each of these souls who kneel one day will be singing his praises for eternity. In order for this to happen, we need to be ministering to and serving the other generations. Now, I promise this whole sermon has not just been a plea for everybody to serve in children's ministry today, but if you're interested, I will be in the lobby after the service. (laughs) But in all seriousness, for many of us in this room, we can look behind ourselves and see a generation there. For many of us, we can also look ahead of ourselves and see a generation there, and all of us can look next to us and see a generation there. We all have something to offer to those around that, to, to those around us, and we can share with them how great our God is. Now, this may not always be the most prestigious job. We may not get recognized, and I promise it will be frustrating at times. But remember, we are called to have the same mindset as Christ himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We are called to take the nature of a servant. We are called to humble ourselves. We are called to be obedient to God in all ways. Then we will all be able to celebrate together for 10,000 years and forevermore. And my prayer is that all of us can be singing of the greatness of God for all eternity. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we are so grateful that you have given us the opportunity to worship you and disciple to those around us. If there is anyone here who does not know of your greatness, my prayer is that you would send someone to come alongside them and help to discover that you are truly the name above all names and worthy of our praise. We know that you have created us as an extension of you, and I ask that you would draw us all together and open our minds to the plans that you have in store for us that we would combine our strengths and weaknesses together in perfect and holy worship of you. And we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen.